This is a Willits Point Shea Stadium bound 7 express train. The next and last stop is Willits Point Shea Stadium. It is the Subway to Shea podcast. Anthony Rivera here with you talking about all the news and happening surrounding that team from Queens, the New York Mets, episode 104 from the Subway to Shea studios in my office. Huge thank you to Greg Larned for joining me on the episode last week. Greg hosts the word with G on 95.3 FM ESPN Chattanooga. From 12 to 2 p.m. Mondays through Fridays, you can check him out. He covers the Braves down in Chattanooga, so it was great having a Mets fan on Behind Enemy Lines. He also hosts College Baseball Done Better with co-host John Venezia on the Better Sports Network. You can catch some of my producing work on Better Sports Network. So huge shout-out to him. You can check him out on Twitter at Greg Larnard. And we will definitely have Greg on again. But for now, it's a solo show this week. I know we've had on a lot of guests over the last couple of weeks, but it's a solo show this week. Just me and just you here talking about the New York Mets. And have the Mets hit rock bottom? Is it time to hit the panic button? Have the Mets gotten in that car to drive down to Panic City? We're going to answer those questions today. Because is it time to drive to Panic City? Last we spoke, the Mets were getting set for their series against the Nationals, which then followed up by the series with the Braves, then a trip to Detroit, and a return to City Field to face the Colorado Rockies. And those results, the Mets were 3-9 and nine in that time span, swept by the Tigers, haven't won a series since the L.A. Dodgers series. Felt like a long time. It really has. Every aspect of this team seems to be a problem. There's not one person to blame, but the whole team has to be a blame, right? You got the GM, general manager, Billy Epler. You got the manager, Buck Showalter. And you got the players. Because at the end of the day, they're the ones on the field. They're the ones getting paid a lot of money. They're the ones that have to produce. So we're going to get into all those aspects. Let's start off with the GM. He's got to have some blame. But I do want to see how he handles the Mark Vientos situation moving forward how he handles Ronnie Mauricio moving forward. Right now, they're in AAA. They're hitting up a storm. I think Mark Vientos has around 10 home runs already. Mauricio now playing second base. Could we see them soon? And how long is it going to take to get them here? They're blocked at a lot of positions at this moment in time. It doesn't mean that the people that are blocking them are better and are doing better, but right now they're blocked. Also, how is he going to handle Francisco Alvarez? When it comes to the return of Omar Nevarez, he hasn't been lighting it up here in the major leagues, but he's played very good defense. He's starting to hit the ball. I think he's batting around 290 over the last couple of games. We haven't gotten much production from Tomas Nito. I don't understand why they gave him a two-year deal. The Mets just signed Gary Sanchez, and we're going to get into that towards the end of the show. Let's see how Billy Epler handles 
these players, especially leading up to the trade deadline, and that's an important key here. I also want to see how Billy Epler does at the trade deadline because that is the true test. He whiffed last year, although not really there was a lot of production from probably all the players that got traded. Not even Juan Soto played well. Daniel Volkoback was really the only one. Even that was, you know, not as much production. Can he bounce back this year? If the Mets are in the thick of things, can he bounce back and make the necessary moves to make this team a championship contender? Because right now they're not looking like it. Yeah, they may make the playoffs. They made the playoffs last year. But this team is struggling right now. The roster is struggling right now. Whether it's hitting or pitching, it's struggling. So we're going to want to see how Billy Epler is able to piece the puzzle together when the trade deadline comes. Because it's easy to sign free agents, right? You got all the money in the world from Steve Cohen to sign whoever you want. But the real test is at the trade deadline. Because that's where Steve Cohen is not going to come too much into play. He may approve deals or negate deals. But it's going to be up to the brains of Billy Epler. Does he have what it takes to put a championship contender together? Last year, they didn't want to trade any prospects. So the team really didn't make any moves because that's all other teams wanted were the Mets' top prospects. So the Mets ended up with Vogelback and Tyler Naquin. That's why they really didn't get any bullpen pieces. All they got was Michael Givens. What happens at the trade deadline will be the true test for me as to what Billy Epler means to this team going forward and into the future, into next year and the years to come. Let's go into Buck Showalter. Now, I don't usually get on Buck, but or I, I don't usually overanalyze every move that he makes. But there were a couple of concerning moves over the last couple of weeks. I talked about it last week with Greg, the move not to bring in Adam Adovino or David Robertson into that Giants game as it was tied. I know they went to Drew Smith, but Robertson and Adovino had so many days off. I think they were off since Wednesday when they beat the Dodgers. So I had about three days off. They were getting Monday off, and they just didn't pitch. They were well-rested. And then bringing them into a game where the game was out of hand, the game was a blowout in the National Series, I, I just don't understand that move. Another move I didn't understand this past week, and I talked about it on Twitter, the handling of Joey Lucchese in Detroit. He pitched four innings, 46 pitches. Now, I know he gave up five or six runs, and I think he left the game with the Mets tied. But the reasoning for taking him out he wanted to conserve him and look ahead to the Colorado Rockies series and the game on Sunday instead of trying to win the game at hand. What happened on Sunday? Well, Lucchese comes out, four innings, 70 pitches. This pitching staff needs to give length, and they're not doing that. And you can say, yeah, he gave up five runs, but you know what? Sometimes these starting pitchers have to bite the bullet. Bartolo Colon did it a lot. When he would give up runs, he'd pitch five or six innings. Sometimes seven. Sometimes the pitchers are going to have to stay in because they're killing the bullpen. The bullpen is burning out. The flame can only last so long. Now, I've heard some people say on Twitter, has the team given up on Buck? And you're entitled to your own opinions, but here's my opinion on it. And take for it, what do you want? You can agree, you can disagree, that's okay. We could debate it on Twitter, we could debate it here. I don't think the team has given up on Buck Showalter. Look at what the team did with two of the worst managers 
to ever grace this organization, Mickey Calloway and Louis Rojas. Those are some of the worst teams I can remember watching as a Met fan. And Buck Walter comes in here. Year one wins 101 games, the second most wins in franchise history. No, they didn't win the World Series. One, it's a lot harder to win World Series these days, especially, especially with the fact that now there are more teams added to the postseason and another round added to the postseason. And only one team wins every year. Let's not negate them winning 101 games. That's a big accomplishment for this team and for this franchise, especially from what they did the year before and the year before that. They struggled at the end of September, or all of September if you want to include that. They struggled. And then they got eliminated in the first round. And some of that has seemed to have carried over into this season, along with the pressure of being the highest payroll in all of baseball, the pressure to hit, and score runs, the press, the pressure to pitch long outings, especially with your closer on the IL. The fact that the Mets right now are sitting in a spot where, you know, um, the standings with the Atlanta Braves are somewhat close right now. I know the Mets have been in free fall, it seems like, at the, with the 3-9 and nine record. But you look at the NL East right now. The Braves are 24-11. and 11. The Mets are seven games back at 17-18, and 18, with the Marlins at 17-19, and 19, the Phillies at 16-19, and 19, and the Nationals at 15-20. and 20. The Mets are where they are right now, without a closer, four-fifths of the rotation being gone, and barely any hitting and scoring runs. I don't think that this team has given up on Buck just yet. Maybe if this goes on for a full season, something different happens. But when you just go from winning 101 games and then off to a rough start with injuries taking over this team and subpar performances from some of your star players, how much of that is on Buck? I mentioned some of the questionable moves he's made. But I don't just believe... Some of these players like Pete Alonzo and Jeff McNeil, who've been here for a long time, uh, Francisco Lindor, who has played under you know Louis Rojas, and then they go to Buck, and Buck wins 101 games, and then they're just going to give up on him. That's not how this works. It's just not how it works. So I don't believe that the Mets have given up on Buck just yet. I don't. I don't. We'll see how the rest of the season plays out. And into next season. But one, they're not going to fire Buck at the end of the year. That's not happening. This ain't hockey. This ain't football. Baseball's a long game. 162 games. So, you know, no pun intended, Met fans. Buckle up. Because Buck's not going anywhere. Well, let's look at the players. Let's break down between the pitching and the hitting. And we're going to start off with the pitching. Because there's been some news that came out with Max Scherzer. We're going to get into that. You look at the Mets starters, the the rankings. Uh, I saw a SNY graphic on Instagram, so I had to write all these stats down. 170 innings pitched, 26th in the league. A 534 ERA, 24th in the league. 1.51 whip, 27th in the league. 36 home runs tied for 27th in the league of all of Major League Baseball. This is with four fi- fifths. 
four-fifths of the rotation out most of April. Verlander's been out. He just came back against Detroit. Scherzer's been out because of suspension. Carlos Carrasco's been out because of injury. He's working his way back. Jose Quintana, I don't know when he's going to return, but he's missed the whole season so far. And not only has Max Scherzer was suspended for those 10 games, but Dan Martin and Mike Poom of the New York Post says that Scherzer is dealing with a nagging injury. He has discomfort below his right scapula around his shoulder blade, and he mentioned that he's doing everything he can to get through this without having it linger through the rest of the season. And Scherzer said that before they left for the road trip, he's in a good spot. He's not going backward with the injuries moving forward, and that's the good part. The way to not let this linger, the true test, and the way to not let this linger is to go on the IL. He's got to. If you are injured, you have to go on the IL. Go on the injured list. I don't need Scherzer to be smarter than everyone else. Don't need him to know his body better than everyone else. I need the front office to step in here and make the right decision here for him. We need Scherzer for the long haul. Now, I know he's better than everyone else at 60 to 80%, but I don't want to lose him for an extended amount of time. We need Max for the long haul, especially with the lack of depth. I thought we had depth coming into this season. I was really confident about it. I was so confident that David Peterson and Tyler McGill were going to take the next step into becoming stalwarts into this rotation, especially the back end. David Peterson got sent to AAA. He's had an awful start to his season. Nothing like he did last year. And they're bringing him up to Cincinnati. I don't know if it's to come out of the bullpen or what. And Tyler McGill, he's been okay. Doesn't really give you length. But for the most part, these guys have been ineffective. They were the depth. This whole rotation and the makeshift and, and the bringing up the Jose Butos and the Denny Reyes of the world, all this, including Scherzer, who's struggling. Senga sometimes can't get out of the fifth inning. Although he pitched on Friday against the Rockies, he pitched six innings, and I was very excited to see that. But they're hurting the bullpen. And it's starting to show now. It's starting to show in May. Something that I thought, you know what, maybe might not reach until about the trade deadline has reared his ugly head into May. Now, there's a lot of fans during the Verlander return saying they wish that they didn't sign Verlander. He's just another 40-year-old. But I'm going to ask you, what could they have done differently during the offseason? Nothing. Nothing could have been done differently. And I said it on Twitter. I was not a proponent of bringing Verlander here. I wanted DeGrom back. He was our guy. I didn't care about the injuries for him because he was younger. I was always worried about Verlander getting hurt, especially at his age. I know he came back from Tommy John, but at some point, the body breaks down. And I'd rather have given that money to DeGrom. I would have been wrong. And I would have admitted that I was wrong because DeGrom is on the IL. He's on the injured list with elbow inflammation. Let's look at the other pitchers that the Mets could have looked into. Carlos Rodon, chronic back issue. He's on the injured list. Chris Bassett, who's 4-2, and two, he's got a 4.28 ERA. No one wanted him back. I did, but a lot of fans didn't want him back because he had two bad starts at the end of the season. And also his demeanor in press conferences didn't really sound positive. I thought he was a pretty good pitcher. 
And I think he would be better if he was on the Mets, but he hasn't been great. Taiwan Walker, 3-2 and two with a 5.97 ERA in Philly. Mets fans are okay with letting him go too. How about some of the more minor pitchers? Trevor Williams, who I wanted back for the bullpen, wanted to pitch in, as a starter. He's 1-1 one one with a 4.25 ERA. Seth Lugo, 3-2 and two with a 3.21 ERA. Could you imagine if the Mets didn't go after Verlander, let DeGrom walk, and instead went with Trevor Williams and Seth Lugo? All hell would have broken loose on Mets Twitter, everywhere for Mets fans. They wouldn't have been excited about this. Fans would have been upset and disappointed if those two were in the rotation. Let's just face the facts. The Mets are in a no-win situation here. They need to rebuild the pitching staff from within when it comes to this year's draft. I think that's what they should go for. I know Matthew Allen, he had Tommy John surgery, not even close. Some of the pitchers are not close or ready yet, but they're going to have to build this pitching staff from within. The only thing I'm okay with with these deals with the Verlanders and the Scherzers of the world is that they're short-term deals. But paying pitchers a lot of money, it, it's overrated. They're just making way too much money. They're always injured, and they pitch once every five days. And I'm always surprised that pitchers get more money than position players. But what are you going to do? Let's move on to the hitting and the Mets hitting woes. I'm going to bring up some stats here from StatMuse, all right? Let's look at these stats here from StatMuse. You see the Mets average 22nd with a two, uh, 236 batting average. You know, you look at where the team ranks in batting. 18th in runs, 26th in hits. Let's see what else. 22nd in home runs, 21st in RBIs. They do walk a lot, which is good. Um, they get hit by a pitch a lot, obviously, you know, because of Mark Canna. Striking out 269, third. They're 10th in stolen bases at 26. But this team is struggling. This team is struggling to find its way hitting to scoring runs. The best player right now, Brandon Nimmo, batting 310 on base base percentage of 407. Francisco Lindor, although he has five home runs, 25 RBIs, batting 217 on base percentage of 320. Pete Alonso, who's been the power of this team, 11 home runs. 29 RBIs, batting 235. Jeff McNeil, second best hitter on the team, 289. Two home runs, 12 RBIs, 16 walks. Marcana struggling. Starling Marte, I think he's very hurt. I think when he hit his head sliding, he messed up his neck. And I'm going to tell you right now, I won't be surprised if he goes on the injured list or even after the season's over. At some point, we find out that he may have a herniated disc from that slide. I wouldn't be surprised. Daniel Vogelback batting 265. He has the best on-base percentage of anyone, batting 398 because he takes a lot of walks. I mean, 15 walks and the amount of bats he gets, that's pretty good. Two home runs, 13 RBIs, but he's not the prototypical DH. Eduardo Escobar has been a non-factor, batting 159. Three home runs, nine RBIs. Tommy Pham, the 220. Uh, Brett Beatty, 286. Two home runs, six RBIs. He's starting to come around. We talked about Francisco Alvarez batting 220. Tomas Nito has been an absolute non-factor. 118 batting average, 148 on base percentage. Uh, they, they need to get production from catching. And, and I would not send Alvarez down if Omar Narvaez returns. He was... Even batting well, 286. But the Mets hitting, uh, it has not been good. And now I know I went on Twitter, and I want to talk about this. 
I went on Twitter asking Met fans to put together the, I want to say perfect, but the best lineup you can with what is already on the roster. That means that we're not talking about adding Ronnie Mauricio. We're not talking about adding Mark Vientos. We're talking about the Mets roster as is. A lot of you guys sent me your thoughts. I retweeted them. A lot of you sent me lineups. I retweeted them. And here's what I came up with. So some were close, um, some not so close, but I appreciate everyone who participated in that. But this is how I would have the lineup. Batting first, center field, obviously Brandon Nimmo leading off. Second, Francisco Lindor playing shortstop. Batting third, Jeff McNeil at second base. He should be batting third. One of the best hitters on the team should be batting in that spot. I know he doesn't have the power, but maybe some power will come his way hitting in front of Pete Alonso, who will be batting fourth, playing first base. Batting fifth, I want to give Brett Beatty a band. Uh, I want to give Brett Beatty a chance and have him bat fifth. See what he could do. Got pop, hit doubles. See what he could do. Starling Marte needs to be put down in the order, so he's going to be batting sixth. Then you got that righty-lefty, righty-lefty thing going on. Batting seventh, Francisco Alvarez. Let's see what he could do up in the seventh spot. And then eighth can be Canna or Pham playing left field. Batting ninth, Daniel Vogelback. Why? Daniel Vogelback is not a run producer. He's not that typical DH. He's a guy that gets on base. He likes walking a lot. We talked about it. We talked about his on-base percentage, right? 398 outside of Brandon Nimmo, who hits leadoff, Jeff McNeil, and let's see who else here. Brett Beatty. Those are the best. And Pete Alonzo. Those and, and Lindor. Those are the best on-base percentage guys. Why not have one of those guys at the bottom? You have the one-two punch of Vogelback going into Brandon Nimmo. Easily can get two guys on base. Why not let it go that way? But that's the lineup I would set off. Again, Brandon Nimmo one, Lindor two. McNeil 3, Alonzo 4, Beatty 5, Marte 6, Alvarez 7, Canor Fam 8, Vogelback 9. And let's see what happens. Let's see how it works out. Because the Mets need some life offensively, and they just haven't gotten it. <music> Moving on, Matt Harvey announced his retirement. And uh, career was, uh, it was something, right? I mean, the ups, the downs, roller coaster ride. 50 and 66 with a 4.42 ERA, 867 strikeouts. Uh, his Mets career, six years, 34 and 37. 366 ERA, 612 strikeouts. You talk about some of his best moments. I don't want to get into the worst stuff we've dealt with with Matt Harvey. Drafted out of UNC. Coming up in 2012, it kind of felt like the start of a new era for the New York Mets. We remember not 2009 through 2011, really some terrible years for the Mets franchise. And 2012 felt like the start of a new beginning. All these kids that were coming up, pitching-wise, this was different. This wasn't as much as a failure as Generation K was. This was better than that. So this, this pitching staff took us to the World Series. We just could never get them all on the mound at the same time. You remember, they traded Carlos Beltran for Zach Wheeler. They traded R.A. Dickey for Noah Syndergaard and Travis Darno. Matt Harvey was the prized piece of that rotation at the time. Had a great 2013, leading into an all-star starting pitcher at City Field. I mean, 
how many starting pitchers get to start in the All-Star game and start on their home field? Not many. Matt Harvey was one of them. And he had a pretty good start. We know he got into Tommy John surgery, um, the bloody nose game, we remember. And then 2015, coming back from Tommy John, having a great season and postseason. Who will forever, ever forget World Series Game 5? Pitched eight innings, five hits, two earned runs, nine Ks. And those two earned runs came in the ninth. I always watch the highlights to see how dominant he was, how he had the fan base, all the fans at City Field in the palm of his hand, chanting Harvey, Harvey, wanting to come out for the ninth inning. The way they handled it, the way Terry Collins handled it, after he gave up the first hit, very questionable, should have took him out. But we all wanted to see him out there. And I always go back and I watch these highlights because he was so dominant. I usually end it at the point where he comes back on the mound for the ninth, and I I cut the highlights off from there. One of my favorite moments is him nailing Chase Utley, and I posted this on Instagram and Twitter. The stare he gave him. Chase Utley had owned the Mets for so long, and I think that night even the Phillies were hitting the Mets, the Philly pitchers, or whoever was starting that night. And Matt Harvey just nails Chase Utley. Stares him down while he walks to first. That's a moment I'll, I'll never forget. Dark Knight, he was always called. Saw Met fans wearing the Batman mask. All I do is uh, wish, you know, all well-beings for Matt Harvey. I hope that, you know, he finds the happiness for the rest of his life and whatever he does. So I wish him very well. And, um, you know, it was great to see him come back with Baltimore a couple of years ago and get the ovation. And, you know... Uh, a career got, got cut short with all the promise in the world, but um, he delivered a lot of great memories. And like I said, I wish nothing but the best for Matt Harvey. Now, before this train leaves the station, the Mets signed Gary Sanchez to a uh, minor league deal. We know Gary Sanchez from the Yankees, a tumultuous career he wasn't the best catcher we've seen what he can do but the Mets need some help they need some depth at catcher with Omar Narvaez out right now there is Martin Perez Tomas Nito has not provided anything for the Mets at this moment Francisco Alvarez is still learning he's playing well defensively great framing gotta see that back come through and I think it'll come through soon but I don't know we'll see what with Gary Sanchez does I mean it's a minor league deal couldn't hurt most likely, you know, he'll come up with an injury, so it's good to have a person in place. I don't know where he fits on the 40-man roster because not even Martin Perez is on the 40-man roster. So we'll see what happens with Gary Sanchez, but he signs a minor league deal with the New York Mets. Now, we're going to wrap up the show here. You can follow Subway to Shea on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Subway to Shea. Listen, subscribe to the Subway to Shape podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify as well. Turn on your notifications to never miss an episode of Subway to Shape. And you can rate the show. Leave comments for me. Let me know what you think. I want to make this show better each and every week. And by going on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, rating the show from one to five stars, I think you can only leave comments on Apple Podcasts. So do me a favor and do that. It helps the show grow. It helps me know what to do to make the show better. So leave comments, rate the show, help me out, and help grow Subway to Shay in this community. 
Don't forget to follow my work for Rising Apple. Rising Apple is a New York Mets site on the fan side and network. You can read my articles by going to risingapple.com. Make sure to follow Rising Apple on Twitter at Rising Apple Blog and the fan sided network at fan sided. If you enjoyed listening to the podcast, you can also enjoy watching the podcast. Subway to Shea is on YouTube. Give it a follow. There'll be some exclusive clips from the podcast on there, some exclusive interviews from Subway to Shea that you can only catch on the YouTube page. So please do me a favor, go on there, watch the videos that I got, leave a like, leave me comments. I want to hear from you. Make sure to hit the subscribe button so you can get all the notifications and updates from this channel. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. For Anthony Rivera, this has been the Subway to Shea podcast.